Some of the biggest and greatest that's ever lived among men are in hell right now. The young and the old go to hell. The rich and the poor go to hell. The black and the white and the red and the yellow go to hell. Hell knows no distinctions. Episcopalians go to hell. Russians go to hell. Jews go to hell. Americans go to hell. Englishmen go to hell. Portuguese go to hell. Africans go to hell. If you don't know the Lord, it'll be waiting. Children's books are meant to entertain and educate, usually through positive characters and situations. The Wizard of Oz, Winnie the Pooh, Goodnight Moon, The Cat in the Hat, and so on. And then, there's The Sight of Hell, by Reverend John Furness. Hell knows no distinctions! I'm Mark Hartsman, and you're listening to A Fiery Tour of Hell for Children and Other Youngsters on Weird Historian. The 1872 book is part of a series called Books for Children and Young Persons. And like other books for children, this one indeed entertains and educates. Young readers learned all about the horrors of hell with rather vivid descriptions. Chapter by chapter, Furnace leads kids on a tour of the middle of the earth where hell resides. Rivers flow with the tears of millions of sufferers. It stinks from the scent of millions of dead bodies. Fire is everywhere, but it offers no light because fire in hell is black. Furnace wanted to make sure young folks realized just how hellish hell is, so he could scare them straight. Maybe it worked for kids who read it in Sunday school, or had parents who shared it as a macabre bedtime story. After all, who would want to live within, quote, scorching, broiling fire for a hundred million years? What follows are just a few examples from this guidebook to the underworld. Listen, child, if you go to hell there will be a devil at your side to strike you. He will go on striking you every minute, forever and ever without stopping. The first stroke will make your body as bad as the body of Job, covered from head to foot with sores and ulcers. The second stroke will make your body twice as bad as the body of Job. How then will your body be after the devil has been striking it every moment for a hundred million years without stopping? The bite or the pricking of one insect on earth sometimes keeps you awake and torments you for hours. How will you feel in hell when millions of them make their dwelling place in your mouth and ears and eyes and creep all over you and sting you with their deadly stings through all eternity? After these general features of hell, Furnace leads the children to several individual dungeons, including one with a wicked 18-year-old girl who dared to skip church and enjoyed showing off her dress. What a terrible dress she has on. Her dress is made of fire. On her head, she wears a hat of fire. It is pressed down close all over her head. It burns her head. It burns into the skin. It scorches the bone of the skull and makes it smoke. You don't like a headache. Think what a headache that girl must have. She disobeyed her father and mother by going to dancing houses and all kinds of bad places to show off her dress. And now... 
Her dress is her punishment. Upon publication, the reviews were mixed. Some were sarcastic, knowing that the author of the quote, charming little book must be a dear, nice, excellent, tender teacher of little children. Others stared clear of sarcasm, like the reporter who took a more blunt approach and wrote what most were hopefully thinking. If the Reverend Mr. Furness believes such stuff as this, he ought to be sent to the lunatic asylum. Let's go from Reverend Furness's version of hell to yet another, that of being buried alive. In this story called Proper Care for the Not Quite Dead Yet, the London Association for the Prevention of Premature Burial. The body of a woman named Lavrinia Murley, a peasant who is supposed to have died from hysterics, was placed in the vault on Thursday, the 3rd of July. On Saturday evening, it was found that the woman had regained consciousness, had torn her grave clothes in her struggle, had turned completely over in the coffin, and had given birth to a seven-month-old child. Both mother and child were dead when the coffin was opened for the last time. This terrifying report from the July 22, 1890 edition of the Undertaker's Journal was just one of many such published stories on premature burial. This was nothing new. For more than a hundred years, concerned inventors created special coffins that would allow anyone buried alive to escape, or at the very least, ring for help. In 1868, Franz Vester created one that even had a storage place for snacks. Yet none of these devices had eliminated the problem, and by 1896, William Tebb had had enough. Too many people were being buried alive and dying and trapped in a coffin. Whether people were suffering from cholera, trance, or simple misdiagnosis, something had to be done. Tebb, an Englishman who was heavily involved in social reform and preached against vaccination, joined forces with a fellow anti-vaccinationist, Walter Hadwin, and a doctor who was nearly buried alive, Edward Perry Vollum, to fight against premature burial with the publication of a book, Premature Burial, How It May Be Prevented. The book cites numerous stories of live burials, and, as the title suggests, ways to prevent such horrors. That year, Tebb and Hadwin also founded a new organization called the London Association for the Prevention of Premature Burial. The association distributed their book along with others on the topic. Sharing stories with the public may have helped increase awareness and incite fear, but it wasn't enough to bring about real change. For that, they attempted to have Parliament pass a bill, ensuring greater diligence on the part of doctors before allowing bodies to be interred. Parliament, however, wasn't sold on the issue. One member claimed that, quote, No cases of premature burial have been brought to my notice, nor am I aware that it is a matter which falls within my jurisdiction. 
But in any case, I am unable to see that the obtaining a certificate of death would be a guarantee against a premature burial taking place. Parliament's lack of concern did not stop the association's efforts. Rest was for the dead, the truly dead. By 1905, reports surfaced once again about a new bill to introduce to Parliament. A chief complaint of Teb and his allies was that a medical certificate proclaiming death wasn't required for a burial. And when such certificates were provided, the association claimed that they were often signed by doctors who hadn't even examined the bodies. Therefore, the first part of the bill stated, No burial or other disposal of a dead body shall take place without a medical certificate, and that no such certificate shall be given without a personal inspection and examination of the body, their certificate stating the signs from which death is inferred. Additional clauses attempted to enforce proper practices by doctors and to reward those who saved a not-dead-yet person from a premature burial. For example, one of the clauses read, Any person by whose diligence an apparently dead person is restored to life shall be entitled to a special fee on application to justices or a stipendiary magistrate having jurisdiction where the restoration occurred. The fee so awarded shall not exceed five pounds for each person who may be entitled to a fee, and shall be paid of the district rates. Yet despite these efforts and the association's great concerns, the medical community scoffed and believed Teb and his fellow warriors were just being dramatic. In the June 23, 1906 St. Louis Medical Review, an article entitled An Alarmist Report on Premature Burial explains why they found difficulty in taking the association seriously. The London Association for the Prevention of Premature Burial claims to be in possession of 219 cases in which people have been buried alive in England during the past 10 years, in consequence of which it is stated a bill is to be introduced into Parliament for the establishment of a department in London to take charge of this matter. The possibility of burial alive though we do not believe it to occur with the frequency asserted by the association, must be admitted. We are more skeptical about the person's being cut up for anatomical purposes while still alive, as is asserted to have happened in ten cases, and of eight others being embalmed while not yet dead. But when we were asked to believe that it is positively known that one person was, quote, cremated while still alive, we draw the line. After cremation, it would be absolutely impossible to make the discovery, while if the subject was known, not believed, to be alive at the time of cremation, someone was guilty of murder, that is all. On the whole, while we are an advocate of greater precautions being taken than is usually the case, we decline to be worked up to an alarmist pitch by statements, the utter absurdity of one of which casts discredit upon all. Teb's crusade continued right up to his own death in 1917. In his will, he made it clear that his body was not to be disposed of until, quote, unmistakable evidence of decomposition was visible. His wishes were respected. Ted was cremated a full week after his death. Thanks for listening. Weird Historian is brought to you by me, Mark Hartsman. The theme song was created by Steffi Copeland. 
This episode was edited and mixed by Igniter Media. For more strange stories, check out my site, weirdhistorian.com, and follow at weirdhistorian on Instagram. You'll find a lot of content there, enough to get buried in. Until next time, have a weird day.